Hello there, this is Daniel Hodge, and I play Darth Malak and Kendris in Unreal Cinema's Knights of the Old Republic series. This is the Old Republic Podcast. Be sure to check out their Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We are the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler alert for everything Star Wars under the Twin Suns. The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope. Make ten men feel like a hundred. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. So, uh, before we start a feud about pumpkin spice lattes again, um, mm. today we are going to be talking about Andor and the Rakadin Empire. And today we are joined by our guest, uh, Dennis. So, how you doing, Dennis? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is uh, makes a couple of appearances for Dennis. Has been on to talk about some Kotor music, some Kotor two music, and uh, yeah, today going to be talking a little bit about Andor. So happy to have you back on. Happy to be here. Yeah. So Andor, and it's just funny that like Andor, it's like and or, but it's like those two words like you know, but it's, it's actually a last name. So I find it cool, but I'm just a, I'm just a nerd, you know, about English and 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 slash or and slash or. Yeah. Maybe that's what his sister's name is, is and slash or. Yeah, that could be, that could be, um, it would be a good name if you were a spy, I guess, because then you can, you can make it be whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, it's better than Clem, I think. Clem. But... <laughs> uh, now, uh, my dog's name is Clementine, and we quite frequently call her Clem. So uh, Clem is a perfectly fine name. Uh, maybe not for a spy, but for a good pug dog, uh, definitely. Okay, pug pug babies, yes. So when I heard about uh, the Andor announcement, I was excited for it because it seemed to be like, I'm like, oh, we're going to get some James Bond you know, spy stuff in Star Wars, and, and I loved Rogue One. How did you guys, uh, when Andor was announced, like, how did you guys react? I was I was super happy with it. I, I love Andor. Um, like, I, I love Cassian as a character. I love Rogue One. Um, I kind of miss that era of Star Wars, to be honest. Uh, I feel like the fandom was at its least toxic. Yeah. Um, in like 2016, 20, 2017, before the last Jedi came out, um, yeah, yeah, it's just it, it gives me good good feelings as a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, definitely something I was looking forward to. Um, we talked a little bit back in um, episode one forty two. We were talking about Rogue One and um, you know kind of Jenner's story, and we talked a little bit about you know what we liked about Rogue One and uh, you know what we were looking forward to in the Cassian Andor series and yeah same as you Cassie I was looking forward to something that was a little bit more um, you know kind of kind of James Bondish kind of you know spy central sort of setting up the rebellion and we're still getting a lot of like the politics which is uh, fun and obviously you know something now now that we're you know older as you know the the prequels that was you know one of the interesting things about the prequels and now we're getting to see how that kind of ultimately played out as we lead into you know the the original trilogy uh timeline and i i just think that it's really interesting to see like the the way that the empire uh took over i find really fascinating yeah for sure and 
I think this is kind of a carryover from Rogue One. I think Tony Gilroy really gets how to make Star Wars uh, feel like there are stakes. Like, some people are like, ooh, Andor's dark and gritty. And I'm like, eh. I mean, it's still Star Wars fun time, you know, but I think it's like there are more serious stakes and like kind of uh, more, uh, it's kind of like the novelizations come to life, I think. It's just a little bit more psychological, more real, you know. Mm-hmm. How, how are you guys liking the, the tone of Andor? Uh, I like it much more in episodes three and four. Um, it gave a more like, galactic scale kind of feeling to it um tone wise yeah i think that the that you know the the gritty tone everyone keeps talking about is is a welcome change um not that star wars doesn't doesn't need to be quote for kids which is you know always been like the tagline but i think that it's nice to give a different uh environment to look at a different viewpoint yeah, different lens. Yeah, it is. It has been interesting to see. Um, and you mentioned Cassia. It's kind of like a like a book come to life. And I think that that's a fair comparison to make um, because obviously we know we know what uh, Cassian Andor's ultimate fate's going to be. We know what Mom Mothma's fate's going to be. But all of these other characters, we don't know anything about them. We don't know you know what their story is, where they came from, how they fit into this puzzle, and you know very games of thrones-esque like any of these characters you know might not uh make it week to week so it has these really high stakes even though you kind of know you know what's going to happen to to cassian as we go through this and into into rogue one but it it feels like they did a really good job of kind of raising uh the tension level um on the story that we we kind of know we're familiar with but we don't really know like the the inner workings of it it's like a car right you know that a car drives but you know unless you really understand how like the engine is operating you're not kind of seen underneath of the hood so to speak and i feel like that's what uh we're getting to see now with uh andor yeah and there's just like lots of great story points great characters and everything um and i guess we're we're kind of just dipping our toes into the story still kind of seeing the all the different characters and everyone but uh what have been some of your favorite aspects of the story uh so far i i i just i love seeing like you know not just it's not just politics at this point even um it's it's very like subtle politics uh i i love I loved the whole thing with uh, Luthen and Mon Mothma um, where they're like, you know, putting up a front and I loved seeing him like prepare to start putting up that front again um, mm-hmm. and just have this like really, really behind the scenes conversation that like they can't trust anybody. So they have to like pretend like, you know, she went there to buy something and I don't know. I, I, I love all this uh, super secretive in like you know the worst place in the galaxy kind of a thing yeah i like kind of the the touching um on the politics and kind of the the stakes that we're getting i like the way that um we're kind of seeing how the empire is structured through like these different um like security uh, protocols like uh, in serials uh, uh character um i think that that's really interesting i think that it is um one of the the story things that i've liked so far is just kind of seeing how Andor got 
or Cassian got swept up, you know, from kind of his, you know, childhood life and into this kind of adopted family and how um, that's kind of propelling uh, his story forward. And then obviously, you know, the stuff that we're getting um, with uh, Luthen's character and kind of recruiting uh, Cassian into the Rebel Alliance. I, that has been really interesting. And I, I think that now that we've gotten to episode four and we're, we're seeing Cassian as kind of this... Um, uh, this kind of mercenary uh, type of character for this, how that's going to fit into the Rebel Alliance. You have kind of this this smaller group of of people, and there's going to be a lot of a lot of those. So I, I like that stuff. I really like um, you know kind of just in that opening sequence as the uh, security force are coming into the city, and you know the whole city is uh, kind of rebelling against them, and you know setting off the bell warnings and stuff throughout the town. Um, you know as people are are getting fed up and fighting back and kind of doing what they can. I I just I find all that stuff super super fascinating and a weird kind of political uh time in the star wars universe yeah politics kind of uh impacts all facets of life in the galaxy i i like that and i i do like the more serious stakes you know uh sometimes i'm like oh dark and gritty can be overrated sometimes like sometimes it just feels like mm-hmm. a fad but i feel like uh Andor has the the right balance like it's acknowledged like you know there's more mature aspects to this galaxy but it's not like we have to stay there you know um but I just love seeing Coruscant again um same mm-hmm. and I could like spend a whole lot of time in uh, Luthen shop and I like how you mentioned like he had to prepare you know he's like wearing purple he's getting the rings getting the wigs and then kind of getting in character and it just felt like Stone Skarsgård uh, you know kind of I was like I'm gonna bring up Mama Mia because why not like I'm like <laughs> what? yeah this could have been the same character from Mama Mia you know at some point like you know before Sophie was born and like He's in the galaxy far, far away, and some people have never seen this nor care about it. But I've I'm never, just gonna. I've never seen it. Yeah. It's a it's a cinematic <laughs> treasure, and it deserves to That's have right. a third installment in its trilogy, and it will be better than the Godfather trilogy. So, yeah. Anyways, um, I, yeah. I do. I do really <laughs> like that scene. Um, you know, and from what I've seen, everyone seems to really like that scene of you know Stellan Skarsgård of. Uh, Luthen, you know, kind of changing into his regalia and going through the motions of, you know, putting on this face because that's what, you know, everyone in the in the galaxy is having to do now. Um, we got uh, touches on that a little bit, like in the um, the Padme Amidala uh, book series that we got the the Queen's Hope and and those and kind of the same thing, right, where she's having to, you know, put on her happy face and go to these uh, dinner parties and banquets as, you know, basically the um, you know the freedoms around the galaxy are just crumbling away underneath of underneath of her and you're getting to see that play out now um kind of through mom mothma's eyes and uh you know exactly how big of a role in that luthan is going to end up playing you know time time will tell on that but um just just really cool stuff and super fascinating i think yeah and i'm just so glad to like have uh mon mothma wearing an outfit that is not just white with silver tassels and um getting more of her background and um, just like 
I don't know, just kind of more her as a character rather than just like saying like many bobbins died, you know. So right. good for her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to to see how of an important of a character um, she is to the the Rebel Alliance. Um, and you know, we even saw her in Rogue One, but you still didn't even get kind of the full scope of that right it it came across that you know basically she was in charge but you didn't know kind of to what extent and uh things like that and you know the events that got all those people into that room uh before they went off to uh find the death star plans so uh yeah i think that it's going to be really interesting to see um kind of her story play out and um how that's going to intersect ultimately with uh cassians and then of course uh you know congrats to genevieve o'reilly for taking a character that was initially cut out of episode three and being able to reprise the role twice and the second time being able to like really flesh out the character. Like I'll I'll bet that, you know, back in 2004 when they were filming uh, episode three that, you know, once she finally figured out in like the next year that it was cut out of the film, she probably never thought she'd be able to play it again. (laughs) So, But here she is and she's on disney plus <laughs> that's right, right. yeah yeah, fl- yeah uh, getting that character back out i would really like to see if they um i don't i don't know if they ever would into like the full version of it but restored some of those scenes or just made um those scenes more easily accessible like underneath of like the Andor tab of the disney plus so you could go back and uh watch the the stuff that got left on the uh, cutting room floor for episode three if i had parts. to guess they'd probably they're probably going to show some of them or at least cut to some of them in whatever gallery thing they do for Andor. Because yeah. I'm sure that her returning again is going to be a huge part of it. Yeah. And she's not just returning for like a little blip. It's like right. they're fully fleshing out like her background, who she's married to, like how the, how the marriage has been, her interior life, you know, you know not just like her as a, rebellion boss you know queen Mm -hmm. she's not a queen but she's a senator um i at least i think so if i mean she's like she's a senator she's a metaphorical queen but maybe not a literal queen like queen and naboo but yeah but senator so she is she is the she is the queen in our hearts and the queen of the rebel alliance i think (laughs) Yeah, so getting to see Ma Mothma um, kind of rise up in, in her backstory, obviously, uh, Cassie and Andor's story. And I'd mentioned, you know, kind of ultimately we know what happens to both of those uh, characters. So maybe the stakes aren't quite as high for those, but they've done a really good job of introducing uh, new characters and new locations to kind of keep the intrigue up, uh, which I think is really cool. So, Dennis, let's start with you. Um what about uh, these other characters? Have any stood out, or any that you find particularly interesting, or uh, want to know more about? Or uh, what do you what do you think about the uh, the new additions here? Uh, I'm I'm very interested to see where some of these um, uh, other other rebels are gonna are gonna end up that we just got introduced in episode four. Um, you know, I. I, I don't know exactly if this was pointed out or not, but I'm pretty sure they're probably partisans. Some of Saw's mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see like what happens to this group of people that Cassian or Clem has just uh, joined up with. Um, on the new character front, 
I was not a fan of the first two episodes, mostly because I felt that they gave us a lot of information about things that didn't end up mattering. And a lot of these new characters were, uh, were a thing for that to me. Um, mm-hmm. So for, for the longest time, I thought that Tim and Brasso were the same person. Because they look okay. very similar to me. <laughs> but okay. um, yeah. yeah, a lot of the characters in that planet, I, I don't really have any sort of, I don't really care all that much about. But it's uh, these other rebels we're getting introduced to that I care more about. Okay, so you're so you're more in on uh, on these uh, fighters that we just met in this yes. last week is uh, Clemson and Camp there. He just wants to eat his food. He will study uh, for his exams uh, later in the night. Um, yeah, I think that those characters are really great, and you know the stakes are pretty high because we don't know anything about them or how they're going to uh, fare in this uh, kind of challenge that's in front of them. Um, like you said, they could very well be you know partisans out of uh, Saw's camp, and we know that you know Forrest Whitaker is uh, back as Saw. Guerrero, so we will meet him at some point and see i guess how how these stories all intermingle with them um i will say i really uh like the first couple of episodes um i like the people there not tim uh he was kind of kind of lame but i did like um uh bix i thought that she was awesome um i thought that his uh friend uh brasso was awesome and i i have a a pretty strong hunch that we're going to make it back there and reunite with some of these characters and uh, maybe they go along to, uh, you know, form the Rebel Alliance with uh, Cassian here at, at some point. I, I feel like they did a lot of uh, kind of character building, um, especially of of Bix to just kind of cast all of those characters aside after three plus B2 uh, emo. Uh, we need to get him back in back in action for sure. <laughs> Um, and, you know, definitely kind of uh, his adopted mother uh, there who is uh, so awesome, played by uh, what is Fiona Shaw. Yeah, Fiona Shaw. Um, really awesome stuff there. So I, I think that those stories are going to kind of keep fleshing out um, as as we go through, because uh, I think there's a lot of episodes of these. But uh, what about you, Cassia? Any characters are sticking out or ones that you uh, want to learn more about uh, any you want to throw out of an airlock like uh, Mom Mothma's husband because he's the worst but <laughs> um yeah I forget the name of the guy who altered his work uniform who works for the security um oh, I'm Cyril, still getting... yeah. yeah I'm getting the hang of everyone's names but <laughs> there, I think there's he's... a lot of people yeah yeah he seems like an interesting character and um I just respect for him for altering his work uniform to fit him better. Because if you look at the other people working there, like it does not fit them very well. So good for Cyril. Um, Fiona Shaw's character, love, love that. I am kind of sad that Fiona Shaw's in Star Wars, like, and now she can't be Kreia, but you mm-hmm. know, the door is open for other people now, I guess. Um, and then like long hair Cassian, um, kind of younger Cassian. Um, I think there's going to be more of an arc than I would have anticipated. And I'm just seeing a lot of similarities he has with Jin. Um, and I also really love the character of Luthen, uh, cause sometimes I think Star Wars is really kind of mentored out but I'm just so thankful we have a mentor who's different 
you know, and Stellan Skarsgård was the best person to choose, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you can uh, have Stone Skarsgård uh, do anything for you, I think you should probably uh, probably do that for sure. Um, uh, one, a couple of the other characters um, I really like. You mentioned uh, Cyril, um, and I like I like him, and I'm very interested to see what his uh, trajectory is now. As you know, he kind of kind of got fired and uh, basically <laughs> pulled down the the entire organization around him um, as he got fired. But you know, he's going back down to the lower levels of Coruscant to visit his mom, um, and then also uh, Deidre, uh, who is um, you know one of the one of the people there on that Imperial Security. Uh, bureau uh, or council or whatever there um, you know and she's uh, trying to do kind of the same thing as Cyril right she's trying to find out all this information and uh, go after these uh, little rebel cells and uh, keeps being met with resistance so I'm interested to see and how their stories uh, play out if they're going to go in like full bore into the empire or if that's going to kind of spurn them uh, to resent the empire I'm really interested to see uh, how those stories go I'm wondering if Cyril um is even going to choose a side at all or if he might just even want revenge on Cassian as a person. Hmm. That could be. Yeah, I could see that because, uh, you know, um, in pursuit of Cassian, that's kind of what, what cost him his uh, his livelihood, his his respect, um, mm-hmm. I guess, within the organization and um, obviously cast the organization. Yeah, so that, that, very, well, that very well could be. So uh, that would be interesting to see. I'm very excited. Uh, to see how how those stories unfold and i'm very excited to see how the rest of this show is going to look because um as you mentioned we went back to coruscant it was awesome uh to kind of see the fly in on that it was interesting to see uh kind of the lower levels of coruscant you know something that we've not really uh seen too much um you know we saw a little bit of it like in um episode two right attack of the clones but uh that was very much bright and lively uh coruscant this is very much uh very much a pressed on uh coruscant it's much more um you know kind of angular and and gray and uh the things that you see um in countries where uh, dictators rise to powers right you get kind of that uh, brutalistic uh Mm -hmm. look on things so i think that it's interesting um from that standpoint and i'm interested to see all these locations and how they do but um dennis how about it uh visuals and the story so far is there anything that you you really like or any of the any of the scenes any of the way that like the the cgs worked for you but what do you think about the the way that this thing looks i was really uh surprised at how much um some of the first episode reminded me of uh blade runner same okay. here. The first, like the very opening of it, with uh, you know when he kills those two those two guys, and he's asking about his sister. It's very Blade Runner to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You get that same kind of aesthetic. It's very, very kind of dark and. Uh, it's know, dark uh, but bright at the same time, where yeah. it's like dark and there's like almost like steam everywhere, and uh, it's very industrial. But there's all these neon lights everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, exactly. it is very yeah. Blade Runner esque. Yeah, that's a that's a really good observation. And then you get, um, you know, kind of back on there, um, that uh, town. What is that? <laughs> I don't even remember what the name because there's so many places going on. Uh, it looked very English, uh, with all the brick. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and the bell yeah, very... tower and everything. 
mm-hmm. the bell tower and then and then everyone just has like a straight up uh, british accent too which is which is kind of playing on that um Ferrix, that's the name of the town yes, um, that yes. i was thinking of it's it's very kind of you know it, it it looks like a rundown like industrial town so i'm from like uh, ohio um but you have like you know that same kind of thing like up through you know what they call like the the rust belt you know between like detroit and cleveland and and pittsburgh of these big like huge industrial uh manufacturing towns that you know get shuttered and then you know kind of what do they look like and that's very much what like ferrix felt like to me and and seeing it and it looked very very dirty and very muddy and uh kind of grimy so um i thought you know pretty good way to kind of play on play on that and you know kind of mirrored i guess the way that the people there uh probably felt is the empire is starting to uh you know kind of force their boot down onto people yeah that's one thing i liked is uh all the world seemed very distinct you had coruscant kind of under the uh empire it still looks very refined but like you said kind of very brutalistic and kind of concrete not as bright and gilded as the prequels and we have like the iceland of the galaxy we have the liverpool england of the galaxy it seems and then we have like a peter pan lost boys uh like where he grew up you know uh as casa and i just like that each of the worlds seemed real and distinct and i think i was getting a little bit too uh especially with Kenobi, like a little bit uh, volume overload. And it's just Mm -hmm. nice to kind of get something a little bit more real that looks like our real world with a few tweaks. Um, But it looks Star Wars. It doesn't look cheap. I'm also very much hoping we don't see Tatooine. Um, (laughs) Prayer circle. No Tatooine. (laughs) You know, obviously with Obi-Wan, it was one thing because it, you know, it needs to happen on Tatooine. Um, that's where he is during that time. But uh, we got, we really yeah. did get beaten over the head with it quite a bit in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. So, yeah, it's nice yeah, to get I'm... different planets and different environments. Yeah, I'm OK seeing some grass and some trees. Um, that is that is all right. with <laughs> That is all right with me for sure. Um, it, yeah, I mean. Uh, it, the volume is what it is. I, it's it's a a brilliant thing, and it's it's really good. And you can definitely tell that some directors are, or not even necessarily the directors, but some cinematographers are you know better at using it than others. You know, just like any other kind of technology, technology that you're using yeah. to to make film. But but it is nice, I guess, to to see you know these characters walking around and interacting um, in a big huge set and uh, set pieces and places that are you know actually in the the real world that you could go and visit and see how they've changed it and uh, made it look uh, more star Warsy. It kind of, it kind of grounds it in a way, I guess, so to, so to speak. And that's definitely, I think what the, the tone of the story and what they're going for is something a little bit more, more grounded in reality that you could see actually being, being the case to play out. Yeah. But yeah, it absolutely looks, looks really great. And uh, it sounds really great. The sound design uh, for the show has been spectacular and kind of the soundscapes that have been woven. And, uh, you know, uh, luckily we have Dennis here. So hopefully Dennis knows a lot about the, uh, about the music here. So we had the Rogue One score, uh, which was done by 
Michael Giacchino, uh, which is brilliant, and you know he's brilliant, and everything that he does is, is brilliant. And then we've got the Andor score here that's uh, being done by uh, Nicholas Brattel. But uh, Dennis, I don't know if you've really had much time to kind of analyze or listen to the way that the soundtrack sounds, but are there any kind of parallels between those two um, composers or anything that you're liking from the Andor score that you've heard? Um, because if anyone's going to know, it's going to be you. It's not going to be Cassie and myself, so... Yeah, so Nicholas Bertel, um, I haven't heard all that much of his stuff before. I I do I've like heard a little bit of his stuff on Succession. Um, not that I was I, I wasn't actually watching the show, but um, I've heard a bit of his stuff from it, and mm-hmm. I I don't really notice much of a similarity between um, between the Rogue One score and Andor, um, but. Something about this score specifically, to me, doesn't feel like it fits Star Wars somehow. I don't, I don't know how how to describe it, but even with uh, Ludwig Göransson's um, Mandalorian score, it was so very different, but somehow it still felt rooted in Star Wars. This this to me feels odd. I don't know how to how to explain it though. It did kind of feel more Blade Runner-esque to me, especially when the logo was coming up. Um, But I remember, like, when the Mandalorian score first came out, I'm like, this isn't my Star Wars, bring back John Williams. And now I'm like, oh, it's the Mandalorian soundtrack. And I'm like, it feels at home. Maybe Hmm. for me, with time, it'll fit more. Or maybe I'll just be like, this is Blade Runner. And that's fine. Yeah, I'm wondering how it's going to progress as we go through the story and we start seeing more um, things that we can identify strictly with the Rebel Alliance or with the Empire as we go. Uh, Will it move more to that sweeping score or is it going to be just more of this uh, visceral kind of soundscape? Um, It reminds me um, of what like Hans Zimmer did with Dune, where I can't really pick out any of the songs from Dune. It just had this the sound and feel of what, you know, Arrakis would have felt like. And this so far to me just looks and feels like what uh, this world of Andor is going to feel like. And maybe we'll get more of those, like I said, more of those big kind of sweeping uh, themes as we go through and uh, start to identify a little bit more with these characters. And it's just kind of laying some groundwork now. Um, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it, but it is great. And I love the title kind of theme that plays the title. It's it's a little long. (laughs) It could be snipped up a a hair as Andor is coming into into focus, I think. But uh, I really like it and I really like the way that it sounds. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one, and I guess uh, anything else you wanted to um, discuss about Andor, or are we ready to take a quick break? Yeah, I think that so. I think that's going to kind of wrap it up for our just a little kind of discussion about Andor. We didn't want to get you know too deep into the story or into the episodes. We know a lot of other. Um, uh, real good podcasts are, are doing that kind of on a week-to-week basis, but we just wanted to to check in and talk a little bit about it because something pretty exciting happened uh, for the KOTOR fans out there um, in this last episode, episode number four. So why don't we take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about the Rakatan Infinite Empire.
Okay. Today, uh, we're going to be referencing the Gizmodo.com article, and or just dropped one of Star Wars' wildest Easter eggs. And I had it a bit spoiled for me that the Rakatan Empire was going to be mentioned in the fourth episode of Andor, but um, it, it was kind of a crazy Easter egg, and I think it's like one of the most deep-cut canonizations of the KOTOR era, but I am so here for it. What were your guys' reactions to this uh, Easter egg? So I remember um, back, I think, when The Force Awakens came out and like their visual guide or visual dictionary, whichever it was, came out, uh, it showed a map of the galaxy. And it, on that, it showed a planet called Rakata Prime. And I'm, I, I, was, I was a little concerned about that because I saw that and I'm like, well, we've never gotten any sort of reference to this. Um, and uh, I, was, I was talking to Brian before, before you came on, Cassia, and I was talking about how, uh, you know, with every Star Wars show that's, you know, come out, uh, there's been a little bit less internet hype for it, which has been nice because I'm not seeing as many spoilers. I did not see this until the episode came out and I, I had to pause it and I was like, oh my God, that, that's, that's such an insane reference. And Alex is like, what are you talking about? My, my fiance. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was, I was floored by it. Yeah, it definitely, it came out of left field for me too. So um, I did not watch the episode on, on Wednesday, I got through like most of the day, um, and then remembered that it was uh, Wednesday uh, and/or day. Um, but it was kind of late, so I was like, I'll just watch it in the morning uh, when I'm having my coffee. So I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, and then yeah, uh, bombshell. Uh, Luthen has this uh, Rakatan artifact. Uh, where did that come from? What is that? Um, we know a couple things. We know that it makes Kotor 119% canon now, uh, which okay. is pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird thing, and it is a it is a real weird um, you know, in a, a show that's supposedly not doing any Easter eggs, uh, that seemed like a pretty big Easter egg, and if not an Easter egg, then it must be uh, something pretty important. But it was fun because I'd seen like people on Twitter like posting like pictures of the Rakatan, so I'm like, what what even is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And then I and then I watched it, and and yeah, total total bombshell. Um, it was pretty awesome, pretty awesome to hear, pretty awesome to see. Um, and we have had uh the Rakatans. so in the um on dryden voss's ship in solo there was a Rakatan wraith box um i don't know what a wraith box is but that's apparently what it was that's what it was referenced as um in the visual dictionary so uh, maybe it's been something that's been on the on the minds of people weaving these stories for a little bit but um yeah this feels it feels pretty significant for some reason uh i don't know what it what what about you cassia what do you think um, I loved this Easter egg. It didn't feel like an Easter egg. It just felt like a historical lived-in galaxy. Because, um, you know, in our world, like, our world has been conquered by so many people. Um, and But do I wake up each day and think about Alexander the Great? Not really. Even though I'm a historical nerd, so I probably think about him a little bit more than, than usual. But, like... Uh, that's kind of what the Rakatans are to um, the Star Wars galaxy. They're like a distant memory that like maybe you think about when you go to a museum or you deal with artifacts, but um, it was just such a cool uh, 
visual too just like a beautiful necklace that i'm like oh jid and cassie and her soulmates they both have like <laughs> these little kyber crystal necklaces and i'm just like oh it, it's a beautiful visual we'll have to like yeah. on our youtube thing sorry uh apple or spotify podcast listeners you'll just have to imagine what it looks like but it's a beautiful blue necklace and uh so, like, before the two part ways, like, Lucian gave Cassian that, that necklace, uh, and it has a massive blue and white kyber crystal um, that is used in um, uh, Jedi and Sith blades, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, like, uh, and Luthan tells Cassian about it. He says, blue kyber, skystone, the ancient world, and... Uh, celebrates the uprising against the Rakadan invaders. So it's like, um, just let's have a moment of silence. Like, this makes T3 canon. This makes Star Maps canon. This makes Darth Revan canon. This makes uh, (laughs) Bastilishan canon. This makes Battle Meditation canon. And before people ask if I'm, like, jumping to conclusions, like, no, I'm not. You know, it's just everything is canon now. Okay. Oh. Let's hear De- it. Dennis, Dennis is here to rain on the parade. Come yeah. on. Okay. I, I, I have to disagree mostly because, like, you know, they when they mentioned Darth Bane in, in the Clone Wars, that didn't make the Darth Bane trilogy canon. It, it made, you know, the character of Darth Bane exist. Or uh, there's been other things like that, too, where Revan has... Um, been mentioned like in like the Rise of Skywalker's like uh, visual dictionary and stuff like that, but that doesn't. I I think that means that there is a Sith Lord named Revan in canon. I don't think that that means that the story that we know is canon. Unfortunately, um, just like we don't necessarily really even know what the Rakatans are in canon. Other than that, they invaded. We don't know how many thousands of years ago it was. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the, the when they when they quote recanonize something, it gets very tricky to figure out exactly what that, what that means. canonization means, and whether it just means like it's a mention that'll never be, never be brought up again, or it is literally canonizing like an entire, you know story involved with things too yeah, yeah. and i yeah and i mean of, of you know of course it it doesn't really mean uh that it's that it's canonizing those things but uh we Same like to like imagine the mention of uh, that, it, that it does for sure um so it's important to know so the rakatans uh, who are the rakatans so the rakatans were introduced in the 2003 uh excellent uh video game knights of the old republic you've probably heard about it um if you've uh, been listening to this podcast um you know more than more more than this one episode but uh that's where their story came into being and the rakatans yeah were a uh a domineering uh civilization that just went and uh took over planets uh, willy-nilly um, until they took over the whole galaxy uh, pretty much. So this is a, a mark of the um, the uprising against them, and it's uh, referred to in the show um, and or as a Kuwati signet. Um, and yeah, it's a mixture of a kyber crystal and a white sky stone. Um, now, the Kuwatis were a uh, people that uh, were shipbuilders uh, way back, way, way back. Um, so I don't know if 
if we're going to find any more about this uh, particular Kuwati thing um, and how that how that is and how this could relate to um, you know kind of their their shipbuilding uh, background, I'm wondering because the Kyber Crystal necklace is pretty big. It is a pretty big Kyber Crystal, I will say, um, on this necklace. I um, mean, we have seen in the uh, the kind of the preview trailer uh, that there is a ship with a weird lightsaber beam that comes out of it um, And that is that what this uh, kyber crystal is capable of because it's very important to Luthen um, As he says, you know, it's more important to me than it is to 50,000 credits. So uh, maybe it has something to do with that Maybe it has something to do with his past. Um, I don't know, but I'm I'm uh, with Cassie on this 119% canon now KOTOR has to be Yeah, so I guess you've been outvoted, Dennis. So. All right, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, yeah I am the guest after all, so. <laughs> yeah, we're always completely serious and always introspective and all the things, you know. No, just kidding. We're some. Sometimes we're sarcastic, so. I don't know what this means, but it's just, it's cool that we've kind of have had Rakata Prime mentioned, like you said, Dennis, and... Um, Maybe one day we'll see it, you know, uh, Lee Han in, in live action. That would be cool. Um, and I don't know what Luthen's connection is with it, but I'm excited. Luthen's one of my favorite characters in Andor. So, um, mm. I mean, it's just KOTOR is 119% canon. We'll have to make a new... KOTOR is totally canon episode, you know, and this will be the thumbnail and we'll be like not clickbait and we'll have lots of circles <laughs> on it, you know, because we're professionals. Yeah. So, there um, you go. yeah. Fool, yeah, fool the algorithm. Fool the algorithm. Fool it. That's right. That, that is, that is uh, what, the, what the plan is. But yeah, I feel like that was a pretty significant moment. It was kind of something significant to give to, um, to Clem, I guess, at that point. Um, what the artifact was so and we know that obviously he doesn't have it um, by the time Rogue One rolls around so something is going to have to happen to it and I think that we're probably going to see that uh, what is that going to be who knows but I hope um, you know I I want to say you know on the podcast here we hope that it at least involves a uh, big history lesson because we love kind of kind of historical stuff even in this uh, fantasy world that is uh, the Star Wars galaxy so um, I think that that would be really cool and then of course the internet exploded as they go into the um, the den of antiquities there and you know trying to piece together what all of that stuff was so like the uh, a lot of good armor. easter eggs yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, a lot of really cool stuff there. So definitely something cool for us Knights of the Old Republic fans to uh, take away from that. And, you know, got everyone who was not familiar with the uh, the game and the Rakatans to uh, do a little bit of digging into that. And that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so where can our listeners find you, Dennis? And do you have anything to plug? Um, yeah, as as uh, I think I did last time, Murphy. Uh Murphy is our new audio drama. Uh, it's coming out, uh, starting to come out on November 16th, where you can find podcasts. Um, and yeah, we our team has been working really, really super hard on it. And it's uh, it's about like, you know, supernatural stuff. It's like mystery, horror, um, cryptids and all that. Uh, so yeah, check check that out. We have two trailers out that you can listen to, and you can follow us um, on all our social media. That's at uh, Merlin's Monsters, Merlin with a Y. Um, you can find me at at DS Mauer's Music. Uh, 
on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on Facebook or wherever you want to find me pretty much. So. Awesome. And thanks so much for coming on and discussing Andor. I was going to try to make a good pun using and or or, but maybe the best pun is the one that is uh, un, unused, you know, so. You can find, um, you can, you can find the podcast on Twitter and or Instagram. And or Instagram. And or Instagram. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, check us out there. If you if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on uh, Ricotta Prime, a.k.a. Lehan, a.k.a. the... Uh, I don't know. It has like 100 names. Go back to episode 90. Uh, we talked a lot about Lee Han and how we would want to see it portrayed in a movie, and that was a lot of fun. So definitely go check that out and connect with us online and uh, keep watching Andor because it's really good and let us know what you think about these uh, KOTOR parallels. Yeah. May the Sky Stone be with you. Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>